Well, the last time, just a few weeks ago, that uh, I preached on this series from Exodus, uh, it was just after the uh, Lord had miraculously uh, opened up the Red Sea, and Moses and Miriam and Aaron and all the children of Israel, they were on the far bank, and Miriam led the worship and the dancing as they praised God and celebrated the incredible uh, miracle of deliverance. Over the past few weeks, if you've been here, you will have seen how uh, our gracious Lord, having, having delivered his people from the Egyptians, uh, begins the exodus, and he has preserved his people from thirst, from hunger, And then from thirst again, each one miraculously uh, provided. I love that uh, hymn that tells us, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. How wonderful. And now again we're going to see how the Lord preserved his people in battle. The first battle that the Israelites would be engaged in, sadly, it would be the first of many. And in this wonderful few verses, uh, we're looking at the introduction to Joshua, a man who would figure predominantly uh, in the history of Israel. Uh, Joshua, whose name means Jehovah, is salvation. And Moses Got a message for him, and he tells him this. Moses says to Joshua, choose us some men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Amalek was descended from Esau. Esau is a picture of flesh, of corruption, of all that is against God. Let me just read you a little bit of a, a description that we find here. And we read uh, in Hebrews 12, uh, Esau is called a profane person. Uh, modern translations use such words as godless, irreverent, irreligious, careless about God. The English word profane comes from the Latin profumus, which means outside of the temple. Esau was outside of the temple, and therefore he was outside uh, of God and uh, had no time for God. His mind and his heart were accessible accessible to everybody. He had no boundaries or walls to set him apart from God. And uh, because Esau did not know God, he was open to everybody and to anything. Someone once said some years ago, if you don't believe in something, then you'll fall for anything. And certainly this was Esau, who had the opportunity, as his family, to believe in, to worship, to follow, obey, and serve Almighty God. But Esau... He could have been one of the original authors of the song, My Way. I'll do it my way. I'm not doing it God's way. I'll do what I want, when I want, with who I want, whenever I want, because I can. 
Yes, you can. And we can do the same together. God doesn't make us do anything. He says, look, this is what I want. This is, this is the truth. And it's up to you. This is grace. And it is amazing. Amalek descended from Esau. And many years later, uh, Paul would write to his uh, beloved friends in Galatia. And he writes this. For I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust after the spirit and the spirit against, sorry, the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are completely contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, you are not under the law and he speaks of this battle that's going on now this is the apostle paul this was formerly saul of tarsus the chief persecutor the one whose aim in life was to bring down this new following this way these people who followed this dead prophet from nazareth he was a destructor he was a persecutor and then he met with the Lord and became the proclaimer of the good news of the gospel. Did he have it easy? No way whatsoever. He might have had an easy life. He may have been well paid for the evil deeds that he did. But certainly now in the service to the Lord, he found it was not that easy at all. Not easy. And he tells of his personal battles you read Romans 7 and 8 in your own time. Uh, and Paul's struggling. We can see the, the seesaw of his emotions. Why, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And why do I not do the things that I want to do? Woe is me, he cries out. The battle goes on. And friends, the battle will go on until the Lord calls you home. But it's a battle that there can only be one winner if we submit unto the Lord. Read Romans 7 and 8. And see what happens. Well, back in Rephidim, Moses, the spiritual leader of the Israelites, tells Joshua his plan. You go and choose the men. We're going up on the mountainside. We're going to be above you. We are going to watch. Uh, but we're not just going to watch. Something very great is going to happen. I'm going to go to the top, stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And I love this. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. I love that. So he did as Moses said. Oh, friends, obedience obedience is such a blessing you will read the scriptures and there will always be a blessing for obedience obedience is what god wants to just do it not argue with him now joshua could have said i'm sorry moses but that's the most stupid thing you've ever said we, I, I'm down here and this is the first battle that we're going to engage in against these evil uh, people from Amalek and you're going to go up there with the stick. Uh, I'm sorry Moses, I don't like this idea. Is this the best you could come up with? No, no. So he did as 
<coughs> Moses said. No arguing whatsoever. Uh, my only claim to fame for being serving Her Majesty's Queen and Country, I did two years with the Territorial Army, um, Royal Engineers up in Manchester, and uh, we got paid for playing with excavators and bulldozers and all that kind of thing. Got paid for it as well. It was lovely, just as a sort of a hobby. But you had to go on basic training. You had to go. They, they promised that if I joined, we'd go to Cyprus, scuba diving and parasended. They lied. <laughs> I went to Aldershot for basic training. The parachute regiment headquarters is not exactly Cyprus in the sun. But the one thing they tell you, when an officer gives you a command, you do it. And there's a very good reason, friends. Because if an officer says down, he says, down, why should we be down? You're probably dead. You do it. You learn to do it instantly. And it's probably saved thousands and thousands of lives by just doing what the person in charge tells you to do. And this is wonderful. And this encapsulates the personality and the characteristic of this dear man Joshua, of whom uh, there is much to read within the scriptures. He did as Moses said. Now, you see, why did he do it? Well, Moses trusted in God. Moses trusted in God. He was there. He was up in the hills. He was the shepherd man up in the hills. And the Lord said, guess what, Moses? You're going to go to Egypt. You're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and he will do, eventually. Moses trusted God. And therefore, Joshua could trust Moses. And therefore, the troops who were going to fight, they trusted Joshua. And that's the chain of, of command that's the chain of events that's how it works god's people at this time were not a trained fighting force remember when they left egypt and they were heading towards the red sea between them between the army of uh, egypt who were coming behind and the Red Sea was the camp of the Philistines. And it's the only account you'll read in Scripture where God takes his people around them because they were weak. They were not trained. They didn't have the weapons. God took them round. Most of the time, the Lord will take you through a situation and that wonderful promise, never will I leave you, nor forsake you. And now it was time for war. Now was the time for battle. It was a spiritual battle. And it's spiritual, as a spiritual battle, it needed a spiritual tactic to achieve the victory. And God was going to win. God was going to have the victory. He was going to be glorified and praised because of what was going to happen down there on the battlefield. The battle would be fought on the mountain with prayer as well as down in the valley. The battle commenced and Moses is there and he holds a staff above the staff of God. He holds it heavenwards and Israel prevailed. They were making great ground. They were overcoming the enemy. 
But then his arms began to get tired. And as his arms came down, so Amalek prevailed. There, there's a, a little experiment sometimes. And somebody said, um, uh, you can uh, just, just hold a book and hold it out at arm's length. And then just see how long you can hold it for. And uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a book, a weight, or a feather, or whatever. You hold your arms out for long enough, and your arms begin to ache. And this is exactly... You see, Moses wasn't a superman. He was an ordinary human, and he was not a young man. And his arms got tired, and something had to be done. As Emelech prevailed... Something had to be done quickly. And we read in that verse 12, But Moses' arms became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him. And they sat on it, and Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other, on the other side. And his hands were steady until the setting of the sun. Friends, they came alongside him. They supported him. They made sure his foundation was firm. And as it happens, the battle was won. He's seated on the rock. The rock symbolizes the Lord Jesus himself. Paul would later on say, the rock of my salvation is Christ. And here we are. There's Moses up on one side, upheld with his brother Aaron, and upheld on the other side with his brother-in-law, the, wife, the husband of Miriam, her. And they are supporting him. And this is what we are meant to do. This is what the Christian life is all about. One of the first Christians that uh, I ever um, was privileged to meet, and one who was probably one of my greater encouragers and supporters uh, was dear Brian Humphreys. Now, Brian uh, was my brother in the Lord, and then later, Brian would become my brother in the Lord, brother-in-law as well. And it was a wonderful thing, because he was quietly there to come alongside and support me and encourage me, as he did so many other people. And that's the way it's supposed to be. We are not supposed to be in isolation. And together, they overcame. And this is a lesson for us all today. We are not meant to live in Christian isolation. We need each other for fellowship. We need each other for corporate worship. We need each other to edify, to build up, to encourage. Now, that word, to encourage, means to put courage into and the opposite of course is discourage to bring somebody down to take that courage out of them and we have a choice this tongue we have can bring someone down in a second and we can build them up at the same time just to come alongside someone give them that little word of encouragement maybe all they need that day I had had last Thursday a very, let's say, a very difficult day uh, at Torbay Hospital. It was very, very intense from the start to the end. And somewhere along the word, someone just said, Hi, Derek, how are you? And look you in the eye and ask, not this, Are you all right, Derek? And they go without even waiting for an answer. When someone looks you in the eye and asks you how you are, you know they really mean it. <coughs> 
We had a dear lady, Barbara Taylor, at Kingsbridge, when I was at Kingsbridge Church. And she was always there first and get all the drinks and everything ready. And Barb used to go in and Barbara would say, how are you, Derek? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. How are you, really? And you couldn't escape. But you see, this is what it's all about. And I said, well, I've had a bad night. That's all right. We'll have a prayer about it. But we are there to encourage, to build up, to strengthen, to come alongside each other. This is what the Christian should the Christian life should be all about. You see, Satan uses people to discourage you, to bring you down, to dismay you. But the Lord uses his people to come alongside you. One word, one gesture, one thought, one action, one kind. Oh, that might be all you need. Now, the Apostle Paul He faced many dangers and despair in his life. You read through his letters and he did not have it easy. The Lord didn't say to him, you're going to have an easy life. He said, I'm going to show you all that you will face, all the problems and the tribulations you will face because of me. Now, Paul in 2 Corinthians, uh, and he's in Asia, and he writes this. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, for our trouble, our tribulation, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Friends, it does not get any lower than that. He despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead who delivered us from such a greater death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And you also helping us together in prayer for us. And, you know, people say, oh, there's not much I can do. I can only pray. Only pray. Prayer is the most precious and the most powerful thing we can do for one another. When someone says to you, I'm praying for you, This is the blessing of the prayer chain that we can share. We can uphold the fellowship, a situation here, there, and everywhere. And immediately we hear about it. We can stop and we can bring that person or that situation to the Lord. The power of prayer, never, ever, ever underestimated. God still answers prayer. He's a prayer-answering God, and we love him and bless him and thank thank him for it. All the parachurch organizations, this Samaritan church, the uh, Samaritan's Purse, the the shoebox appeal, open doors, release, um, all the other things, just wonderful organizations, the Gideons, they all are bathed in prayer. They could not function without the prayer of God's people, upholding, strengthening, and being a blessing. And then we read with Paul again, just a little bit further on uh, in that passage, uh, sorry, in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. And he says this, uh, where have we gone? For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside, conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts, uh, comforts the downcast, Comforted us by the coming of Titus. Again, he's in the pits. 
It's Macedonia. He doesn't know which way to turn. He's praying out for relief from the Lord. And into their situation comes Titus. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Can we imagine that day when into that situation comes Titus to help, to bend, to, to strengthen, to encourage, exactly the same as Aaron and her, as they supported their friend and relative Moses. We can do exactly the same. This is exactly what happened with Titus there. We especially men we don't like asking for help and it's called pride and it's a sin and we ought to know by now we've got to sometimes we have to ask for help and i'm probably as bad as anybody we think we can do it on our and to ask directions no way i know where i'm going I, don't you tell me i know you know but we don't like asking for help you see it's pride and it's a killer but friends it's a good job Moses didn't think like that. He needed support. He needed help. He could see the battle going on. And he knew that he was weary. He needed support. He needed physical support. He needed emotional support. And he needed spiritual support. And if he hadn't, then it's quite on the cards that the battle would have been lost. But we do not fight in isolation. Paul reminded the church in Rome, if God is for us, who can be against us? Anyway, back to the battlefield. We're nearly there. Verse 13. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The battle belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Write it down. Write down what's happened today, Moses. Write down, make a note of it. And you think, well, what's the purpose? Well, friends, all these thousands of years later, we can do exactly, uh, exactly we can be encouraged by what happened all those years ago in Rephidim. Again, in Paul, in Romans 15, there's a verse, and this is, I, I use this verse so many times, and I will never get tired because I think it's so important. And Paul writes this, For whatever things, whatever, whatever things were written before, were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. You are not going to live long enough to understand every word in this Bible. You young people, if you started reading and learning now, do it. Don't stop. You're never going to live long enough to understand everything. But it's there. It's all we need. Don't get troubled about what you don't understand. Thank God for one verse and then two verses and three and so on, so on, so on. And even though we don't always understand it, we can look back and we can learn how God dealt with his people. Right from the word go and right to the very end. And because Moses did make note, we can be encouraged by what happened 
on that day when the victory was assured. Write it down. Make a memorial that people will know and people will rejoice and people will thank God. Everything that was written in the past was written to give us hope. Billy Graham, one of my heroes of the faith, he said this, I've read the last page and it all turns out good. Friends, the best is yet to be. Let's learn from Moses. Let's learn from Joshua. Let's learn from the Lord of how he does things. Remember, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord, or my thoughts, your ways. We may be exactly the opposite way, but it's okay. It's all here, and it's all we need. May the Lord bless his word to us, even tonight. Amen. Well, we started off.